1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m., and here is your top five at five tech back on top as the NASDAQ does something for the first time since November. Beaten up names, some investors are snapping up ahead. Breaking this morning, the World Economic Forum out with its 2023 Global Risk Report. Key takeaways in just a moment. A major blow to Samsung as Apple looks to ship more iPhone production in-house. FTX back in bankruptcy court today. Former clients and investors waiting on two key rulings. Later on, if you need a reason to be optimistic about your money long-term, we've got one. It's coming up in your RBI, all on this Wednesday, January 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Wednesday morning. All right, here we go. Let's kick off the hour with how things look in the futures markets, and we are slightly higher across the board. No major gains, but we are in the green. Dow futures up about 70 points. Now, everyone kind of waiting to see if we can keep this little run we've had going. We are coming off some decent gains for the major indexes. Now, think about this. We're going to hit the full list in about an hour, about a half an hour. But overall, it's been a good start to the year for most stocks. Case in point, 22 Dow components are higher this year, with four of those, Dow itself, Intel, Disney and Salesforce, up more than 10 percent since January 1st. Not bad. This is bonds fall and yields rise right near the 10-year yield at 3.56 percent. And you want to hear something that sounds a little bit crazy particularly for this hour. Even with all the Fed talk and all the stock moves of the last couple of months, the 10-year yield is back at the same price it was six months ago. Peaked in October, been down since then, and now we're back to September levels. In energy, oil and natural gas are in the green. Oil is up a bit, about half a buck. Natural gas is up by only by a few cents. Actually, I just flipped. It's now down a couple of cents. by the way, the federal government just put out its first forecast for oil and gas and energy around 2024. And they think that oil demand globally is going to jump over the next couple of years. But the EIA researchers also see oil prices either flat or down in that same period. How would that be possible with demand up? Will they see rising U.S. production countering a jump in demand. We'll see. All right, in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether actually down a touch right now. They've been big winners this year, even with all the drama around Sam Bankman-Fried's implosion and alleged criminal activity, FTX bankruptcy, etc. Still, they are down just a bit this morning. All right, we've got some breaking news right now to get to out of Europe. For that, we go to Jumana Bersechi in our London, London newsroom. Jumana, good morning.
2: Hey, morning, Brian. So, yes, that breaking news that you speak of is the release of this World Economic Forum Global Risk Report. Now, just a reminder for people who are not familiar with it, it comes it tends to come out a week before the annual Davos Davos Convention, which is happening in a week's time. And the World Economic Forum send out requests to about 1,200 respondents across the private and the public sector and ask them to rank what they see as the biggest risk over the short term, so over a two-year horizon and over a 10-year horizon. And so we just got the results of this risk survey. And I think it is notable that over a two-year horizon, the, the biggest risk that people are seeing is the cost-of-living crisis. Not a surprise here, given how inflation has soared over the last 12 months and what governments are doing to deal with that and how it's impacting people's real wages. But also interesting that over a 10-year horizon, the top four risks cited are all related to climate change. The number one is failure to mitigate climate change. Number two, failure of climate change adaptation, natural disasters, and biodiversity loss. And I think this raises, Brian, a very interesting dichotomy because... All of the people who were surveyed are clearly worried about the medium and longer term impact of climate change and the impact that that is going to have on their businesses. But more short term, they're thinking about this energy crisis and the cost of living crisis, which has raised a very has put them in a difficult situation whereby they have to make difficult decisions with things like powering up coal plants and relying more on fossil fuels to deal with the energy crisis, while at the same time being worried about the impact that that will have on their businesses over the medium term. So interesting dichotomy there, I thought.
1: It it really is, Jumana. Let's talk about this just a bit, because they come out and listen, this is kind of there's a lot of people out there that will say, well, this is the World Economic Forum. This is kind of what they do. They've been talking about the same things For a long time, there's probably nothing unexpected here except for that higher cost of living that you're talking about. And it is so interesting because, yes, we've got to fight the long-term impacts of climate change, which is going to cost trillions of dollars. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, for the next few years anyway, that cost of living is something we have talked about a lot, something I have been to see you guys to talk about. I've talked to people in the U.K., (laughs) talked to people in Europe and and you know they don't want to hear these diplomats talking about some some exogenous risk down the road they're worried about being able to afford their heat i would imagine
2: yeah And I think this is the situation that policymakers, specifically European policymakers, Brian, find themselves in. And they've had to swallow this uh, unfathomable pill of having to go back on some of their climate change promises, their emissions targets in the short term to allow their people to make it through the winter. The only way that you can bring down the cost of living crisis is to bring down inflation. A lot of that inflation has been on back of energy costs, as you know, too well. So governments have been introducing things like price breaks, but at the same time leaning more on fossil fuel, on LNG imports from the likes of the U.S., from Qatar, from around the world, in addition to trying to scale up their renewable capacity. And that's going to take time. And so the hope is that this will come... Uh, under control in the next couple of years and after which they can then go back and focus on that medium term climate change ask. Uh, but it is a toll order.
1: I think about the Netherlands, the biggest natural gas field in Europe. They're shutting it down, but now they're importing natural gas via giant carbon burning ships. They're shutting down farmers, <clears throat> but they want Belgium, which is next door, to produce more food because the Netherlands is the largest agricultural exporter and they may turn that down. Go figure. Listen, hopefully they can figure it all out next week in Davos, Switzerland, the World Economic Forum. Jumana Bersechi, thank you very much. All right. Think of that what you will, my friends. All right. Let's kick off the hour with your money, because despite the pain of inflation, higher rates and falling earnings expectations, your first guest today says the technicals of the market suggest better days could be ahead for stocks. He is Craig Johnson. He is the chief market technician at piper sandler and we are always happy to have him on at whatever godforsaken time it may be out there in minnesota craig we do appreciate it how is the technical setup looking for this market and i also understand you kind of brought us a little bit of a a mini rbi of your own my friend
3: brian we always got to bring the uh, the content and bring the rbis to you but you know from our perspective uh You know, 22 was certainly a rough year. I mean, it was the seventh worst uh, downturn for the S&P 500. We had all the popular averages uh, in the red in uh, 2022. And uh, at this point in time, I think investors need to sort of keep in mind that it's always five o'clock somewhere, meaning that there's always something to do. I know Kramer's talked about there's always a bull market somewhere. 100% agree with that. And when we're looking at the technicals, you can see in the marketplace that industrials, energy financials, are putting up some of the best relative strength, Brian. And in fact, I've got many of those sectors putting up 26-week relative strength new highs at this point in time. And again, there's always something to do, and those are some of uh, some of the best and strongest areas of the market right now.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff, and we've gotten off to a good start to the year. I know really nothing changes but the calendar, although I did say yesterday we had a lot of tax loss selling probably at the end of the year, so maybe the calendar in some cases, actually did matter, and you are optimistic on the year, Craig. Right? Your price target is what forty two, sixty five, some somewhere around there. Forty six twenty five, Brian is is where we're at. So we've oh, seen no, about I flipped it. <laughs>
3: we're looking for about eighteen percent upside from here, okay. um, and we think some of the catalysts from here is. We're watching on the macro side of things. Right now, we've had a uh, downturn in terms of the dollar. We've had a downturn in terms of rates at this point in time. And both of those have been catalysts for the uh, equity markets over the last uh, several months in here. And from our perspective, until those trends change, or they reverse higher, I think you're going to continue to see the equity markets work. And Brian, the key technical level that everybody's going to be watching, and it's really going to be tested tomorrow when the CPI number comes out, is going to be that downtrend resistance line off of the January highs last year at around 4,000. You also have the 200-day moving average coming into play in that level. And I think a break above that level is going to uh, set us up for what we've been talking about, which is a hop, a drop, and a pop for 2023. I still think we're in the hop at this point in time.
1: Well, that CPI report tomorrow, as as we say in the business here, is a, quote, big deal. If it comes in hot or it comes in really soft, what are your expectations for either?
3: Well, I think if we're going to come in and it's too hot, I think you're going to look at it technically and say, well, we got rejected again at the downtrend resistance line. And you are probably setting yourself up for the drop phase that we've been discussing, which could take the market down over a matter of uh, months, probably to retest the 3600-ish level. But if this number comes in uh, less than expected and we do see the market move higher and you start to reverse the downtrend off of, again, the January 2022 highs, I think that's going to bring a lot of people off the sidelines. And, Brian, there is $4.3 trillion of cash sitting on the sidelines at this point in time. And uh, anybody that's wanted to sell this market has already done that. $4.3
1: $4.3 trillion in cash. I might have to put that in an RBI. Very quickly, Craig, can you leave us with an idea? I want to make the new year sort of all about opportunity, somewhere to invest right now. A couple
3: places to invest right now. In the energy sector, where we're showing good relative strength, take a look at Schlumberger. It's got a very nice long-term downtrend huh. reversal. I'd also point out Boeing. Again, a stock that's been out of favor for a while, but reversing a longer-term downtrend. And then, Brian, a couple areas to specifically avoid. I think 2023 is going to be a year where we're going to be talking about this market X the technology sector. And I look at stocks like Trade Desk and Alphabet as two names that are still in defined downtrends, and we're probably going to continue to lose uh, market cap from here. And then, Brian, lastly, from a bigger picture perspective, I think you got to keep taking a look at the Dow this year in 2023 because from our mini RBI perspective, when we do see the Dow out yep. before – all other indices, the S&P, the Russell, the Nasdaq, the, tw- the uh, six-month forward returns are quite amazing, close to 12 percent, and you're higher 88 percent of the time. And again, it's only happened nine times uh, since the 1970s, Brian.
1: Wow. Maybe a little history on our side. We like Schlumberger. We may avoid some of these high beta tech names, and I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble with my New York audience, which is good luck against the Giants for your Vikings this weekend, Craig Johnson. Thank, thank you. you, Brian. Sorry, all you Giants fans. My, at least my Chargers made it for the first time in forever. All right, now to some key money headlines happening now, including a bipartisan move by Congress to take another step to go after China. Let's hit that and more with Sylvana Hanau. Good morning, Sylvana.
4: Good morning to you, Brian. Let's start with Apple because it's reportedly planning to start using its own custom displays on its iPads, watches and iPhones as early as 2024. According to Bloomberg, Apple is looking to reduce its reliance on technology partners like Samsung and LG, bringing more component production in house. In a first major bipartisan win, House Republicans and Democrats overwhelmingly voting yesterday to establish a new committee to address threats posed by China. The new House Select Committee on the Strategic Competition between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party will be largely investigative in nature and will be given authority to call witnesses and hold public hearings. And FTX is back in bankruptcy court today. Investors and clients expecting rulings on issues, including whether the firm's customer list will be made public and when or how the firm will be able to sell subsidiaries to raise cash. Ahead of today's hearing, a new court document filed last night features names and share counts of key FTX stakeholders, including Peter Thiel, Kevin O'Leary, Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchenbryan.
1: Some bold-faced names in there that uh, we might actually have kind of a an interesting yeah. or, or I should say, uh, a, you know, uh, TMZ-covered yes. bankruptcy hearing for the first time ever, <laughs> yeah, Savannah, Exactly. Now. Thank you very much. Good sure thing, Brian. <laughs> All right, Silvana. We'll see you in a bit. All right. We've got a lot to do. We're just getting started on this Wednesday. When we come back, RBC laying out its best ideas for energy stocks. Of course, we're going to bring them to you. Plus, with shares crushed since the IPO New reports of a brain drain at electric truck maker Rivian. Later on, the end of an era for Wells Fargo and its once massive home loan business. All that and more with Futures Up, straight ahead.
4: you ever brought your magic to walt disney
2: world like hey we came to play
4: did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially when we come through it's true magic because we came to play at walt disney world resort what does it mean to be rich maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life at edward jones our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
1: All right, welcome back. Well, there were really two different stock markets last year. There were energy stocks and then there were everything else. Most of the market went down. But the energy sector had a record year in 2022, soaring 59 percent on average. It is the first time ever that energy finished as the lone winner in the S&P 500 in a calendar year, the only of the 11 sectors higher. And while, of course, it's probably unlikely the sector is going to match that type of performance this year, it does not mean there is still not money to be made somewhere. Let's talk more about this with Baraj Bocataria. He is associate director of European research at RBC Capital Markets, it's been a uh, must read for me on the energy crisis for a while, Barrage. And before we get some of your picks and opportunity, you know, we've had some spectacularly good weather. Great news there. Industrial gas use is down. How do you view where we stand right now and where we may be in six to 12 months with what's going on in Europe?
0: Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. So I think we're in a much better place now than what we thought we were going to be, um, you know, three months ago. Uh, as you said mild weather has played a factor you've also had the return of uh, hydro uh, for power um, and nuclear looks like it's set for a return as well into 2023 so a combination of factors have sort of offset the, the tightness in addition to the weakness and demand i would say at this point um, the, the market's still fragile but actually the the real bear case which is uh, storage is empty you know and, it, and it's going to be a struggle to fill for 2023 i think is is less of a risk And it's actually possible that we end storage at, you know, maybe 50 percent, which means less pressure on 2023 gas prices. You'll still need gas prices to remain high in a historical context because you need that energy to come in and and ultimately you need to pay for that. Um, But relative to where we were a few months ago, it it feels a bit more balanced.
1: It does. And Mother Nature has been a huge part of that. Thank goodness. But I also do look at industrial use barrage that has been down. In other words, you know, people are just keeping the thermostats lower. But I worry more about industry. We're CNBC. We talk about business and, and, and economies. And what's the concern, at least in your mind? I know it's not directly what you cover with the industrial impact on this. If I'm a huge chemical or car maker in Europe, it still stings, I've got to imagine. Even if we have storage, it's 6X the price of the United States.
0: Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, this comes down to global competitiveness. So if you have a, a labor cost, which is higher, gas prices which are higher, and so on, and you have security of supply issues, that, that's a concern. And what you've seen is a, a number of announcements in the last few months from, for example, large chemical companies say they may reconsider footprints in Europe uh, and maybe uh, do more in Asia or do more in North America and so on. And I think it, this is going to be an ongoing challenge. Um, unfortunately, when you look at all of the political rhetoric, uh, on the energy crisis, there's been very little talk about increasing domestic energy supply. And that's really ultimately the solve for this. It is you know, you're reliant on imports, which makes you uncompetitive. And yep. therefore, you need to increase your domestic supply to, to reduce that uh, lack of competitiveness.
1: I was recently in the Netherlands at a big Shell facility talking about blue, hot, green and blue hydrogen. I know Shell, one of the names you like. Repsol also. Repsol. Not a name we talk about here in the United States much. Spanish company. I just know them from MotoGP. What makes these companies attractive?
0: So, so Shell, the reason we like Shell is, is similar to what we thought about in 2022. They are the number one global LNG player. Uh, and in that market, we expect to be tight for, for a number of years. Um, and trading has been on and off. But actually, structurally, I think profitability should be better now than what we thought about the business um, you know, a few years ago. For Repsol, um, it's the most geared to distillate, and that market remains tight. Uh, You've seen a little bit of softness recently, given we're obviously in a a recession, Uh, but actually valuation remains very compelling. You've got a huge buyback and a growing dividend, uh, and that distillate on the refining margin should remain uh, supportive for free cash flow. Good
1: stuff. Some new ideas there. Repsol, new name maybe to our viewers as well, but we got to look around the world for opportunity. Barrage, we do appreciate it. You have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, Europe looking a little bit better. Let's keep our fingers crossed on the weather. All right, still on deck. A long-awaited burger expansion, yes, burgers, a mega-billion-dollar jackpot, and a rough year for regular season in the NFL, at least as far as TV goes. Your top trending stories ahead when WEX returns. there's some gainers for the year for the NASDAQ and what's been a, a pretty solid start to uh, many names. All right, time now for some big money movers. Three top stock stories of the morning. All right, number one is Wells Fargo. The bank announcing it is stepping back from the housing market due to regulatory pressure and higher rates. The company will now focus on home loans for existing bank and wealth management customers as well as borrowers in minority communities. Shares of Wells Fargo are unchanged. Next up is World Wrestling Entertainment. That's right, the WWE. Co-CEO Stephanie McMahon stepping down for the job following the unanimous re-election of her dad, Vince, as the company's new executive chairman. Stephanie returned from a leave of absence back in July to take over as her father retired amid sexual misconduct allegations. That stock is trading higher by about 7%. And finally, Rivian. Several top executives departing the electric vehicle maker in recent months. That includes the VP who oversees engineering and supply chain logistics. Confirmed exits coming after the company fell short of its 2,500 production goal last year due to difficulty getting parts. That stock down more than 80% in the past 12 months, though up just a touch right now. All right, let's step out of the world of money and business, get a check on this morning's other key headlines. Philip Mena is in New York
5: with those. Philip hi brian good morning after meeting with world leaders south of the border president biden is back in the united states returning to the white house late last night the president is now defending himself against a new controversy mr biden says he was surprised to learn that there were classified documents found at an old office of his meantime house republicans are wasting no time kicking their agenda into high gear the chamber voted on establishing a select committee to probe what Republicans are calling the weaponization of the federal government. So they would essentially be investigating the investigators who investigated them. California is still unable to catch a break as unrelenting storms are causing catastrophic destruction across the state. Governor Gavin Newsom toured the damage yesterday and said at least 17 people have died since the onslaught began. He added that nearly 100,000 Californians are living in places where it's unsafe to be in their homes. The 80th annual Golden Globes made their televised comeback to celebrate the best in entertainment, but not without addressing its controversial hiatus first. And I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I'm black. Host Gerard Carmichael was quick to call out the Hollywood Foreign Press Association's diversity scandal, repeatedly roasting them in his monologue and pointing out that he was the first black host in their history. And while accepting the Cecil B. DeMille lifetime achievement honor, Eddie Murphy shared some striking advice for young Hollywood.
1: I followed it my whole career. It's
0: very simple. There's three things. You Just do these three things. Pay your taxes. Mind your business
5: and keep Will Smith's wife's name out your f- mouth. Facts. Uh, leave it to the great Eddie Murphy, Brian, to drop some sage wisdom on Hollywood.
1: Yeah, I. that. Uh, yep. I'll leave it there. I mean, listen, Eddie, go. We're going to go back and watch 48 hours and trading place. I mean, the guy just absolutely epic, by the way, random, but interesting, Philip. He yep. used to live basically behind the CNBC headquarters. Not, not that they had any relation, right behind us uh, in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. A little random fact about Mr. Eddie Murphy.
5: Wow. You. Did he ever drop by? Did you, did you see him at a gas station or something? Oh, yeah. Just
1: abs, <laughs> absolutely no. no. I was, but amazing guy, amazing talent. Philip Menna, thank you very much. All right, All right, coming Brian. up as we round the curve on the 5 a.m. hour. Your morning mystery chart revealed. I, don't, I think we actually showed it to you. Well, there it is. <clears throat> We're going to reveal that mystery chart coming up and why a rebound in China could send these shares even higher in the weeks ahead. The first, a quick market flash. Shares of Credit Suisse moving a little bit higher this morning. Bloomberg reporting that the bank is considering a 50% cut to its overall bonus pool this year. That would be another blow in what has been a rough few years for the Swiss bank. Shares down more than 60 percent in the past year. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. And good Wednesday morning or Wednesday evening. If you're watching us from Australia or Asia, good to see you. Just about 5.30 a.m. here in the East Coast of the United States. And let's see if that nice little rally we have had since the start of the year can continue. And it looks like it might. Stock futures, they are higher right now. Not a huge gain, but we are seeing Dow futures up just about 70 or so points as well. NASDAQ futures slightly in the green as well. Well, if you've not been paying attention, many stocks have been hot to start the year. Look at these year-to-date returns via indexes. The s and p small cap 600. Best performer so far in 23, it's up 3.7%. The S&P mid-cap 400, up 3.5%, and the NASDAQ 100, up 2.5%. So pretty good start for technology, small and mid-cap stocks. All right, stocks are up as bonds fall and yields rise a bit. Ten-year yields testing a little resistance, up right around 3.6%. That's kind of where they are right now, 3.6%. Five Let's take a look at oil right now. Oil, we're seeing it get a little bit of a bid up a bit. It did take a spill Tuesday on some big inventory data, oil and natural gas, both suffering right now from a bit of oversupply issues in the market. The price of oil at 75 and change. Speaking of energy, the all in energy trade that we have talked about so much, meaning we're going to need everything in years and decades to come around the world. Will that trade? is working right now. Why do I say that? Well, look at this. The OIH, that's an oil services ETF, and the TAN, that is a solar stock ETF, they are both up 4 and 5% this year. They are some of the single best performing ETFs out of any sector. So think about that. Fossil fuel related companies continue to do well. Solar related companies, which also did well last year, also continue to do well. In that energy trade, you look around the world, global growth, everybody wants a house, heat, safe, whatever. Guess what? We're going to need it all. And that market trade has reflected that so far, at least in the last few months. All right. Now let's talk about crypto or at least the crypto world, because the massive bankruptcy hearing of FTX is about to kick off. And there are a lot of questions. Eamon Javers with us now with more on it. Eamon, good morning. What can we
6: expect? Well, good morning to you, Brian. The hearing starts in Wilmington, Delaware, today at 9 a.m. We learned a little bit of information yesterday in terms of the shareholders of this entity, FTX. Shareholders included some entities connected to New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, hedge fund titan Paul Tudor Jones. Also, Tom Brady and his uh, former wife were listed in that uh, entity list of those who held shares in FTX's parent. Uh, we're also uh, expected to learn a few things today. Uh, one of the big question swirling around this is the identities of the FTX Exchange customers. We don't know whether those are going to be released. That controversy expected to be addressed by the judge in Wilmington today. Uh, We could learn the names then of all of the people who FTX owes money to because they had assets on that exchange. Also, the question of how and when FTX will be allowed to sell assets and businesses. FTX desperately wants to sell some of their profitable businesses and assets uh, in order to make up some of the money that they owe to their creditors. The judge is going to deal with the question of whether or not they can do that, how they'll do that, and we'll get a sense of how soon some of those assets might come to market. The other big question and controversy here that we don't expect an answer to today, Brian, but that broke out yesterday – is the question of the law firm Sullivan and Cromwell and their role here uh, in advising FTX. They are representing FTX so far in this bankruptcy. A group of lawyers, uh, I'm sorry, a group of senators yesterday uh, sent a letter about the lawyers uh, complaining that uh, FTX was using Sullivan and Cromwell because Sullivan and Cromwell had been involved with FTX before the bankruptcy. So during the period when any shady stuff might have been going on at FTX, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell was around the company at that time. Senators, including Elizabeth Warren, complaining yesterday uh, that they don't think it's appropriate for Sullivan and Cromwell to continue on. Sullivan and Cromwell told us last night, Brian, uh, they feel it's entirely appropriate under the rules to continue as the representatives of FTX. We'll see how that all shakes out a lot of legal fees there at at stake in that fight. Brian, back over to you.
1: You think you think I'm thinking there's going to be some 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 new cars bought with these legal fees. Eamon, All right, Simon and Cromwell, just kind of the latest addition. We've got tens of millions of dollars in political donations, both to individual politicians as well as super PACs. We've got family connections with SEC people. I mean, how
6: tangled is this FTX web? It's enormous, Brian, and you just you follow the docket in this bankruptcy hearing. Uh, You know, you get these automated alerts every time a new docket entry is filed. Over the past 48 hours, I can't tell you my phone has been beeping and just buzzing on the desk constantly. There, there are docket items being filed just about hourly in this case. I mean, it is an enormous amount of material for them to get through. We expect a battalion of lawyers in Wilmington, D- Delaware, today. Uh, we'll see whether we get any statements from any of the principals here <coughs> and any clarity on this issue of who are the, the creditors, ultimately, of this entity? Who are all these account holders? One of the questions in that, Brian, was fascinating uh, when they first addressed it at the first hearing last fall, which is a lot of these account holders may be in China. And, of course, under Chinese law, it's not legal to participate in crypto markets. So some of these creditors might be breaking the law in their home country in order to have assets on FTX. Uh, Therefore, their names being exposed in this hearing uh, could be a problem for them domestically in China. So a lot of those Chinese entities might not want Chinese individuals might not want their names made public. Unclear if a U.S. court takes that into consideration. Do we care at all, as the United States court, whether or not these Chinese people are embarrassed or or involved in something illegal in China? That's not really material to the U.S. On the other hand, some of those people might be in serious danger uh, if their names are revealed here. So a lot to think about for this judge today uh, in Wilmington, Delaware.
1: And and I've got to check. I know certain politicians have said they'll give back the donations as far as giving it to charity. I don't know if any of the super PACs, which took tens of millions, have said they will. I need to double check that. I'm not saying they haven't. I'm going to look because just where is the money? Eamon Javers, you're going to have a busy couple, I don't know, months. Eamon, appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks very much. All right, let's get down to some of this morning's top stories. Outside of that, including Tesla looking to make some upgrades to one of its production facilities. Silvana's back with that.
4: Silvana, what's going on? Brian, here's what's going on. All right. Tesla is looking to spend as much as seven hundred and seventy million dollars to expand its factory in Austin, Texas. The company registering with the state to make upgrades and additions to the facility, including spaces for battery cell testing and additional manufacturing. The plant is where some of Tesla's Model Y vehicles are made and where its Cybertruck is slated to be produced. Disney announcing changes to its theme parks, making it easier for loyal customers to visit them. The company is unveiling several modifications to its reservation and ticketing systems, as well as its annual past membership perks at its U.S. parks. Disney will now no longer charge parking for its hotel guests and will release more lower-priced tickets at its California park. And Apple being dealt a legal blow in its battle with MedTech company over claims of stolen technology. A judge ruling that the Series 6 of the Apple Watch infringes on some of Massimo's patents related to light sensors that measure the amount of oxygen in the blood. Massimo has been pushing to have the models banned in the U.S., Brian.
1: There you go. Hey, by the way, Savannah, I don't know if you, did you see like there was like a video that went around some woman and her family, what they spent at Disney. I think it was Disney. Oh, my God. Land. Or I don't know if it was Land or yeah, World. It went yeah, like viral. Yeah.
4: I, I couldn't believe it. I, it was, I don't have it was kidding, like a so. couple grand for the day. <laughs> I know. I, I can't. I, yeah. It's like skiing. I, right. I mean, I could go it's probably like around the world with I mean,
1: that. Come yeah. and play for a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I, I, anyway, either, either way, I, I just I, I used to get the E ticket in California. You even know what that is as a kid. And it was like the greatest day of your life to get that unlimited ride Ugh. ticket. And you just sit in line at Space Mountain the whole day. That sounds amazing. Savannah and Al, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Bro. All right. Yep. That's old school right there. Paper tickets. All right. Let's talk China, because not in the way we normally do. Because while they deal with the COVID outbreak right now, longer term, some investors say there can be one big place to invest. Pippa Stevens here now with more on that. Pippa.
7: Good morning, Brian. There is certainly some volatility and near-term risk when it comes to China. But further out, restaurant companies are optimistic on the growth potential. Credit Suisse saying there's, quote, significant long-term opportunity in the Chinese market Thanks to a growing middle class adoption of Western brands and increased urbanization, But it has been a tough few quarters for restaurant companies. Starbucks' same-store sales in the region were down 16 percent last quarter after declining 44 percent during the third quarter. McDonald's CFO said during Q3 earnings that it is a challenging operating environment in China, thanks in part to mobility restrictions. Now, in terms of who's most exposed, Yum has the highest share of units in China at 20 percent. Starbucks has about 17 percent exposure, according to Credit Suisse, followed by McDonald's, Shake Shack, Restaurant Brands International and Papa John's. Now, on the growth opportunity side, China is forecast to make up more than 60 percent of McDonald's new units, with Yum and Starbucks at more than 20 percent. Now, all these stocks up double digits in the last three months, Brian, and, you know, some optimism there around potentially more sales in China.
1: All right. We had a mystery chart a few minutes ago, and it is related to this story. And apparently it's Oatly, the oat milk company. I don't think we've ever shown them as a mystery chart either way. What is their relationship to the China story?
7: Yeah, well, the stock has more than doubled since hitting an all time low on December 20th. And that is partly because of a new partnership with Yaya Foods. The aim is to make Oatly more asset light, uh, converting its facilities from end-to-end manufacturing to hybrid production models. And this is notable because Oatly has been plagued by operating challenges, including an inability to meet demand. And, you know, oat milk is the fastest-growing category within plant-based dairies but that has, but the company has not been able to capitalize on that, and it's seen its market share shrink from more than $10 billion in 2021 to about $1.5 today. So, Brian, certainly a name to watch, but uh, maybe a little bit too much enthusiasm here uh, in the near term.
1: As soon as this show is over, I'm going upstairs. <laughs> I'm going to squeeze a bunch of oats, and I'm going to see what I can get out of it. It's going to be hard, but I, but I think we can do it. I believe it. in Pepper you, Stevens. Brian. <laughs> I got to get that oat milk. Just going to squeeze those oats, just drain every drop of milk right out of them. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, that was dumb. All right, on deck. Need a reason to feel optimistic about your money? Well, we've got a few big ones coming up in your RBI. Please do not squeeze oats. No milk will come out. I apologize. We're back right after this. All right, today's RBI is perhaps a reason to feel longer-term optimistic about the markets and your money. And we could use that because you know that last year was awful for most of the stock market outside of oil and gas. But did you also know it was one of the worst combined years for stocks and U.S. government bonds ever? That's right. Historically bad markets as government spending helped stoke inflation here and around the world and crushed nearly everything. But if you are thinking long-term, and you should be, declines like last year may actually turn into a good thing. It could take a while. Let's explain. And I'm grabbing this data from Ritholtz Wealth Management's Ben Carson and his A Wealth of Common Sense blog. Always a source of really cool stuff. First up, the ugly. All right, last year was one only 11 times that a balanced portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds ended up lower. Usually one goes up, the other down, or vice versa. That's why so many investment advisors just recommend it. All right, didn't work last year, but 2022 was just so last year. Let's take a look at the future. And in a year, history says, well, things will look better, may not look perfect, though. In fact, four of the previous 10 times that both stocks and bonds went down, Carson notes, they were also lower in a year, 1930, 1973, and 2001. The combined portfolio actually did worse the second year than the first. I noted that in my predictions for the year, that it's rare stocks go down two years in a row, but when they do, the second year tends to be worse. Now, there were some good years like 1974. Overall, bottom line is this, 12 months out after a decline of both, it's mixed. But look at the right side, seven years out. You have always ended higher. They note that the average gain of a combined 60-40 portfolio in that time is a pretty nice 65% return. Four of those years were a combined return over 80%, with the worst year being 1930s, just meager 195 jump for the mixed portfolio. All right, some of you may be thinking or saying these numbers don't look or sound that great, but consider that is a mix of 40% bonds. That is meant to keep your capital, not really grow it. So on that basis, those returns do look pretty good. And more importantly, a good reminder that in the game of Wall Street, it is about years, not months, random, optimistic and hopefully a little profitable. All right, on deck. We'll talk more about these markets and why your next guest says he is holding off on cutting risk out of tomorrow's big inflation data. Stick around. all right welcome back time now for your wex wrap up six stories you might have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m hour here we go wells fargo stepping back from the housing market due to regulatory pressure and higher rates the company will now focus on home loans for existing bank and wealth management customers holiday pc sales declining for most computer manufacturers except apple reports say max shipments dipped by only two percent in the fourth quarter compared to a 20 percent drop by other brands Apple, by the way, planning to start using its own custom displays on iPhones and watches by as early as next year. That, according to Bloomberg, in an effort to reduce its reliance on technology partners. The NFL's regular season ratings dipping slightly from last year, a drop coming likely because the league shifted Thursday nights to Amazon Prime streaming service. Can't rate on TV if you're not on TV. Several top executives at Rivian departing in recent months. The exit's coming after the EV maker fell short of its production goals last year. And Stephanie McMahon is stepping down as co-CEO of the World Wrestling Entertainment, following a unanimous re-election of her dad, Vince McMahon, as the company's executive chairman. All right, there you go. You have been wrapped up. Let's get now talk more about the markets and your money and bring in Zachary Hill. is head of portfolio strategy at Horizon Investments. Zach, good to have you on. Did you... You, hopefully you heard my RBI just a few minutes ago from A Wealth of Common Sense trying to show people that it's been brutal. It may be brutal in the near term, but if you're a long-term investor and long-term thinker, history is on your side.
8: Good morning, and nice to be with you, Brian. I, I did see that, and and I do agree with those those long-term statistics. But I do think you know we've got a little bit of wood to chop you know, in 2023. I mean, I think investors – We flipped the calendar to the new year and said, oh, everything's going to be better. We have to we can stop talking about inflation and all of that. And and we don't think we're quite there yet. And so we are a little bit cautious uh, in the near term. And we've got some, you know, some few things to work through in in the first few months of the year.
1: What are the main things that we've got to work through?
8: Yeah, well, so we need to continue to see this um, decline in inflation. Right. Um, You know, the Fed has is clearly still a single mandate Central Bank, and all they're focused on is getting inflation down. And and for them, and for a more durable, um, you know, return to, you know, a more average kind of inflation, the 2%, uh, which is their target, you really need to see the labor market start to slow down. And we we really haven't seen that. I mean, the little glimmers of hope that we've seen in in a few reports and some leading indicators, but in terms of actual tangible evidence, we have not seen that. And so that's the kind of the main thing, um, you know, that we're looking for to start to stabilize, you know, the bond market. And then once you can stabilize, you know, core bond yields, that's how everything else uh, within capital markets is priced. And so you, know, you see lower volatility in, in bond markets that can lower volatility in FX markets and lower volatility in equity markets. And ultimately, that's a good thing for, for long term investors.
1: Well, inflation has been trending down, Zach. If tomorrow's CPI number comes in soft, meaning inflation continues to decline, is that the all clear to just, you know, go buy 40%? PE multiple growth tech stocks again all as well yeah,
8: I don't think so. Um, you know, the, the fact that we had 40 PE or 140 PE tech stocks, you know, all over the place was just a, a byproduct of years and years of a really supportive macro environment. Uh, we're nowhere near that, and we're not going to go back to that. I mean, you know, that that was a particular time and place that, that we do not think is going to be repeated, and so absolutely not. But, you know, normally kind of the setup into a number like this where we've seen, uh, you know, a rally in equities and, and bond yields declining, I'd be a little bit cautious kind of going into CP but i i sense a lot of inflation fatigue uh on wall street you know people yep. are just tired of talking about it they're tired of worrying about it we've been talking about it for 18 months please can i talk about something else and so you know i, I think in that yeah. in that context as, as we go into this number if if we actually see a little bit of a hotter print it's going you can easily dismiss it and say oh well that's just one the trend is your friend um, and we do have a lot of strong cross-asset momentum you know yep. in favor zach i've
1: I apologize. I've got to jump in here. I've got some breaking news out We'll get you back on Zach Hill Horizon. Thank you, folks. If you are going to the airport right now, apologies. The FAA says that all flights are grounded nationwide. That is correct. The Federal Aviation Administration, I apologize for looking down and having to read this, experiencing an outage with the system that puts what's called a NOTAMS, Notice to Air Missions. They're having a problem with a national computer system. And as such, the FAA has grounded all flights nationwide. Now, it does not say how long they are grounded. Could it be a couple of minutes? Could it be a couple of hours? No idea. But right now, if you are one of the millions of people likely getting on a plane today, anywhere in the world, either in the United States, coming to the United States, or going from the United States, you are on a ground stop right now. By the way... This, this goes to what we saw last week, where there were some issues with travel systems, particularly in Florida, although I heard from some people inside the industry that it might actually have more to do with lack of people than systems. Either way, the FAA nationwide ground stop right now, no flights, except those, of course, that are in the air currently, are going to be taking off. That is unbelievable and unacceptable. All right. That's it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm sure Squawk will pick up the coverage next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only
4: on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you